We're in Beirut for a new episode of the Beirut Banyan, and we're joined today by Amir Hkayem, a senior fellow for Middle East Security at the International Institute for Strategic Studies. Amir Hkayem is an analyst on regional politics and security matters in the Middle East and focuses on interstate and intrastate politics and conflict and the role of non-state actors. We get into all the above. Emil Hkayem emphasizes that local leaders need to be held to account. And while there are serious geopolitical concerns that impact Lebanon's sovereignty, that should not excuse domestic actors from serving their citizens better and properly enacting reform. Emil Hkayem offers his perspective on the uprising underway. And if you're enjoying these daily episodes, please consider a contribution through Patreon. There's a link in the details box below. An independent endeavor, I'm trying to capture the uprising day by day as events unfold. For episode 39 of the Beirut Banyan, I'm Rani Shatah with Amir Hkayim. This uprising, this revolution or attempted revolution, does it feel different to you? Yes, certainly. I mean, it's unique in its breadth, it's unique in its message, it's unique in the fact that it is not cross-confessional, but it's anti-sectarian. It's unique in the sense that it is actually a revolutionary movement because it questions the foundations of the system. It's unique because it's not driven by you know, regional or geopolitical concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have uh, regional and geopolitical implications, uh, but it, it is not driven by that. Um, it's unique because um, politicians have tried to, um, you know, ride this wave and have so far failed. Um, you know, the number of, you know, the, the, the irony of the Lebanese system is that every individual politician can pretend to be against the system or to be a reformist, um, even as they exist in a system um, that, you know, rewards them and they have no interest in changing. Um, so in the past few days, we heard that Michel Aoun is a, uh, is a reformist, Nabi Heber is a reformist, Nasrallah <laughs> is a reformist, Saad Hari is a reformist. But the danger here is that those uh, leaders are quite adept at ma- manipulating popular movements, perhaps not this one, mm. um, but manipulating the popular movements by essentially embracing um, the, the message while emptying it of its substance. Um, and and that's, that's a danger that looms at the horizon, although I have to say that it's unlikely in this case that they will succeed. And, and would you put the, uh, the momentum of this uprising on the political breakdown of Lebanon or on the, is it more the economic stagnation and potential collapse? Or is it really a blend of both that brought this kind of momentum to the streets? Nothing ever happens for only one reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a, a convergence of, of crisis mm-hmm. uh, that is affecting Lebanon uh, in a pretty uh, uh, violent way. Um, Look, one of the problems that the Lebanese have had over the years, um, one that was reinforced by by foreigners, is this self 
you know, celebratory talk of resilience, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That Lebanon is resilient. The region is on fire, but Lebanon will survive, etc. All this was essentially a di distraction, divergent, uh, avoidance of the hard issues. Mm. What happened in the past, you know, 10 years is the slow but sure erosion of governance at every level in the country. Um, not that the country was doing well 10 years ago. It's just that 10 years ago, there was a lot more international attention. There was a lot more goodwill, etc. And what happened, especially since 2011, is that, you know, with the whole region on fire, you know, Lebanon used to be always in the top three or top five issues on the Middle East. And for a brief moment, uh, 2005, 2006, uh, it was actually on the top of the agenda. But then suddenly 2011 happens, and then you have Syria, Yemen, mm -hmm. Libya, every other country in the region on fire with, a, with revolution. Larger countries with you know, more, populous, uh, more populous countries, uh, mm -hmm. countries with oil, countries with, you know, uh, that produce large migration problems, etc. And then so Lebanon uh, uh, um, you know, lost uh, it's it's uh, uh, it's ranking. Um, it, it was no longer a top issue on the agenda, and so you know we talked about resilience, uh, but we had lost goodwill. Uh, we had we were no longer uh, you know the the darlings of the Gulf states. Uh, you know Westerners. Uh, you know Jacques Chirac was no longer president in France, so the special bond no longer existed. Hmm. Um, you know, all, and I, I can go on and on and on. But Lebanon was also, you know, uh, a, a major disappointment for a lot of countries. Um, hmm. uh, you know, especially donor countries that they poured in all this effort, all that money, and things would never get fixed. Right? Yeah. Um, reforms wouldn't happen. So in the meantime, we got complacent. Uh, Lebanese political elites. Um, had a hard time adjusting to the fact that they no longer had the access they used to have. Mm. Uh, they could no longer uh, count on, on, on that kind of support, right? Especially from the Gulf states and, and uh, from France, etc. cetera. Um, and so you, you wake up a few years later and you realize, oh my God, the country is in tatters um, and we don't have uh, the safety net anymore. Do you put the burden on that, on, on the local leaders being so corrupt that nothing good happened? Or is it a structural issue within Lebanon that doesn't allow a country like France, or even if it's Saudi Arabia, countries that are that were interested in helping financially, that they didn't see any tangible results? In other words, where, where is the problem here? I think, you know, look, I, I believe in, um, in agency. Um, mm -hmm. I believe that fundamentally... Uh, yes, there is structure, but people make choices mm. uh, and that essentially lead to specific outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, and in Lebanon, I think that uh, our political class is not just corrupt, it's also uh, incompetent. Yeah. Um, so they're not even good at, uh, at uh, being corrupt anymore because they're essentially sinking um, the, uh, 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 the country the, the country that was actually producing this uh, you know this wealth that they themselves um, uh, you know diverted for their own good mm. uh, and you know we have in a way we have no excuse I mean you know the, the, you, you talk to other people on your podcast uh, who are 
better, uh, uh, you know, uh, better informed than me when it comes, for instance, to our banking sector and uh, and how greedy the Lebanese would get in terms of, you know, uh, their deposits at the bank, and they wanted the high uh, uh, the high interest rates because yeah. they were making more and they weren't taxed in Lebanon the way they would be elsewhere, etc. But we never took the time to have an honest discussion about our economic system. And it's only recently, and you know, in a pretty spectacular way, that we started making the link, at least at a popular level, between our political system and economic governance in the country, right? And, and this is pretty clear from what we hear in, uh, um, uh, in, on Martyr Square, in Tripoli, in Saida, in Nabatiye, and everywhere else, right? People are making direct linkages yes. between how the country is run politically mm. with, with you know, the, 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 the economic system um, that underpins all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but it also means that we're going to have very hard decisions to make uh, soon about how we relate to um, foreign donors, how we structure our economy, how we think about our budget, etc. So we're in the early stages. I suspect a number of international governments are a bit nervous about all that. They got they got uh, used to dealing with our political class. They tend to be quite conservative. Um you know, you you note, noted that uh, they still poured a lot of money into the country, but you know they poured a lot of money in the country because they wanted to co- uh, contain problems, not because they wanted to incentivize real reforms. Um, so you know, a few years ago, it was about containing the threat of ISIS or making sure that Lebanon wouldn't collapse because of Syria, and before it was because of shoring up specific political. Uh, parties, etc., right? It it was never, you know, as part of a real reformist uh, vision, in large part because we Lebanese didn't articulate it and and pushed for it, right? Uh, I don't want to blame outsiders for our own lack of of responsibility and vision. Mm. So, so the corruption is a domestic issue. There's no geopolitical, there's no direct geopolitical link to the thievery, that, that level of crony capitalism, that this is really just a Lebanese problem in itself. It is. At the same time, uh, the corruption provides an opening for uh, you know regional uh, actors mm-hmm. uh, to essentially cater favor inside the country and so on, and it worked yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it worked until it stopped working. Look, the point today is that Lebanon, at least for the countries that used to be financially very present in Lebanon, the Gulf states in particular, yes. um, in a way is a lost cause. Um, the, if you are Saudi Arabia, for instance, you look at the investment in the past few decades and you say, you put money in the central bank, you supported the Haye dynasty uh, politically and financially, uh, you were around for the, for, for the Lebanese, you, you helped with Taif and all this. Um, And what do you really have to show for this investment? I mean, Lebanon's most powerful faction, Hezbollah, is directly involved next door in Yemen. It is a national security threat to you, Saudi Arabia. Um, So, you know, you look at it and you say, can you change the balance of power in the country? No, not really. So perhaps actually you should cut your losses. Perhaps you should spend less money and less time on Lebanon. And I think this is what happened essentially in Lebanon. 
you know, the, the notion that the Saudis are, for instance, as involved today as they've been a few years ago, um, is is uh, is uh, ballooning. I mean, it's 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 not real. Um, a number of countries have lost interest. In some ways, it's good because it creates the space for, you know, a political debate. I think it, it has direct political implications. Um, you know, people, including the traditional uh, uh, supporters of Saudi and allies and so on, now are, you know, are but free to think, uh, you know, more creatively about what, what is important for the country. So there is a genuine Lebanon fatigue when it comes to regional financiers, whether it's Saudi Arabia or other or others, that there is a re- reluctance, a deep reluctance to come and save us from sinking. Yes, because they don't think that they can save us. Right, uh, right. Start. Second, because uh, they see, uh, you know, the past few decades uh, as a sunk cost at this point rather than an investment. Mm-hmm. Look, they're emotionally and culturally still attached to, to the country. Yes. Uh, and that, that does matter, but, you know, when you're Saudi and you're, you know, uh, involved in, in Yemen and it costs you billions and billions and uh, you are shoring up Egypt and you're thinking about your your domestic reforms and you have a million other things on your agenda, Lebanon doesn't seem that important anymore. Today, since we're going back and trying to, in a way, address the post-war order, and I always I kind of imagine this as readdressing 1989. It's not so much uh, starting from now that this is a really a the the moment the civil war ended these problems began. It, it, are the solutions simply Lebanese coming together and finding out how to govern themselves for the first time since the war ended, or do you see a regional and perhaps an IMF intervention or or something that doesn't allow Lebanon to fully collapse, that it, it manages the crash landing. And I'm almost wondering where, where the solution is, that is this purely a domestic solution or is there a regional solution that's in the mix? Look, I wish I could tell you um, uh, the solution was entirely Lebanese. Mm. Uh, to a large extent, it is a, 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 the responsibility of the Lebanese. I mean, we have to engage in really hard and honest thinking about how we organize the country, how we organize the, the economy, uh, etc. Mm. At the same time, um, there is an issue that doesn't have a purely Lebanese answer, and that's the issue of Hezbollah, yeah. uh, which is front and center. We can't dance around that that one. Um, and, and Lebanon, in and of itself, cannot provide that answer. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to do what Lebanese politicians, including uh, Saad Hariri or Rayyan Hassan recently have done, which is to say, uh, you know, uh, this is a regional problem uh, as a cop-out, right? I mean, it's true, but it cannot be a cop-out. Yeah. The, it's, it's the responsibility of the Lebanese to, one, always have in mind that this is a major issue, and second, talk about it. Talk about it in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the, you know what are the obstacles for reforms? Whether we want and, and that whether Lebanon can be uh, can build a healthy economy and a healthy society while being a militant society at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way Hezbollah wants it, and it's very difficult to see, you know, the international community, uh, you know, regional countries and so on, pouring money in a, in a place where ultimately um, there is one faction 
uh, that can use intimidation, deadly violence, etc., um, to shape domestic politics. Right. Um, you know, and that, that's a that's a huge deal. Um, you know, we prefer at times to ignore this issue, um, but but that's not how it's going to happen. Look, we also need to have a domestic, you know, a, a genuine domestic debate uh, with Hezbollah supporters um, to really understand, you know, what is uh, what is driving their support for 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 the group. Um, is it really in a, a full uh, uh, embrace of a resistance agenda? Is it has it more to do with the concern of a specific community? Uh, is it um, you know we have to have that discussion that we haven't had that. Uh, for the moment, and hopefully the the, the, the movement, the popular movement in, in Beirut um, and, and across the country uh, can help with that discussion. Um, we're no longer the national dialogues of, you know, uh, previous years. You remember when they would all meet in Babda and pretend to engage in a, in a discussion about uh, uh, the defense strategy and, and, and nothing would happen. Yeah. Um, you know, something a bit more genuine, something in which Hezbollah supporters are directly engaged, you know, because that, that conversation today has to reach within, uh, you know, these communities, within families. We, we know we're all in it together. But that's not going to be just a Lebanese solution. Ultimately, uh, Hezbollah is linked to a much uh, uh, broader regional, uh, uh, um, you know, power play by, uh, by Iran, um, and that that's going to have to be part of the discussion. And, but, but the Baabda Declaration, which you referred to in 2012, seems to be a Lebanese declaration. That there was no, there was no international input into that attempted neutral policy towards the Syrian war. And if I'm understanding you right, that Bob, that we would need to have something like that, something that's domestically created with an international understanding that it should be implemented? The Baabda Declaration, to be honest, is, is not, I mean, it was a nice statement of intention um, with, with no import. Um, so that, that, that's, that's really sad. If you want something that that survives, uh, uh, I mean, if you want to implement something, uh, you will need um, to have the Iranians on board. And that means having a broader regional security discussion. This cannot be just about Lebanon. Um, and how do you do that? How do you guarantee? This is, this is where geopolitics have a direct impact on the trajectory of Lebanon. Um, I'm, I'm quite uh, pessimistic, uh, to be honest, at this point, that uh, we'll have such a discussion. I think, uh, uh, you know, the, the Trump administration is, is causing a lot of damage. Um, and I think it's, it's uh, you know, maximum strategy on Iran um, is not the smart or the right thing, to be, uh, to be honest. They certainly, uh, Iran should be pressured in some ways, but not, not this way. Uh, I don't think the way it's done serves, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the interests of of, uh, of Lebanon. Uh, I think the Iranians themselves are quite resilient um, and have an interest in uh, in um, you know holding fast and surviving this phase and trying to come back uh, in in the game. Um, and look, the the thing was that's important to understand from Iran's perspective and also from Hezbollah's perspective is that they don't see what's happening in Lebanon, but also Iraq for that matter. 
as a popularity contest, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're not here to win the hearts of the majority of the population. You know, Iran is not a country that cares for the prosperity and the well-being of the countries in which its partners operate. You know, they want their partners to be to to shape uh, the trajectory and the strategic orientation of these countries, right? Um, and so, you know, we're we're victim of that at this point. Um, we're victim of that, and uh, I hope this makes it in in some of the discussions in in Beirut. But for the moment, and this may be more tactical, that the the this um, the issue of just the the general issue of weapons outside of the state apparatus that that has not really come up. I mean, beyond kilon yani kilon, we don't really hear it. It's not present. It's not on the. It's not the. Uh, it's not what's driving the protesters for the moment. And do you think that's a good thing? So, in other words, if you're going to address the issue of weapons, and if you want to eventually reach a sovereign state, is it a is it a healthy thing for the moment that it's not the pressing issue that people are focusing on the economy, on corruption? And and for I mean to to various degrees on the sectarian governing structure, but is is it um I mean do you think that these things can be addressed without addressing the issue of weapons or or are they so linked together that there's no escape that you have to address the weapons and make it a, a central issue? No, look, I, I think it's it's understandable that it's not front and center. Mm -hmm. It's not topic of the day. Um, uh, this is not the only issue that should be discussed. I want to be clear about that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not um, like you know there is there is uh, mismanagement, corruption, and incompetence across the board in Lebanon, and that affects pretty much everyone all the time. So I understand that. I also, as I said, there is no immediate solution to the issue of Hezbollah's weapons. Mm -hmm. um, so that too, uh, you know, I mean, just making it the, the priority um, just risks, uh, you know, splitting or or diverting uh, uh, attention from, you know, the more immediate concerns. Right. Uh, that said, you know, first we need to understand that Hezbollah is not a reformist party First and foremost, because its priority is uh, to preserve its uh, its uh, armed status and its operational autonomy, and that matters fundamentally. Hezbollah is not going to be, you know, this reformist partner that will really and genuinely engage in many of the conversations that we need to have. Mm -hmm. For that matter, all other polit politicians um, that applies to all other politicians in Lebanon. Um, but the, the difference here is, as we saw uh, just last week, is that Hezbollah is the only one that first can, you know, uh, intimidate and impose uh, uh, its will uh, within its own community, and second, can deploy the kind of muscle uh, to, you know, intimidate others as well. Yes. Um, you know, it, it, so that's important to to note. Uh, the second point is that. Yes, we want uh, you know international goodwill, and, and if somehow we manage to put together a, a strong policy, reformist platform, etc., fine. Um, but the international community will continue to care about uh, you know the state's control over 
uh, you know, it's uh, uh, um, uh, you know domestic affairs. Yeah. Uh, so that's not going to disappear from the agenda. And third, I would say, you know, in such a tense regional uh, uh, landscape today. If tomorrow, for whatever reason, you have an escalation with Israel, the issue of weapons is going to come back at, and be at the center of the discussion, right? Of course, there will be a moment where the Lebanese rally and, you know, uh, uh, and of course, uh, uh, see Israel as, uh, as an enemy and so on. But you also have to understand that in the absence of a defense strategy, we cannot turn to the international community and say, hey, we're doing our part, because yeah. we are not doing our part. You know, it is refreshing for me to hear a foreign policy analyst put the burden on local actors. I mean, it is, it is a burden that is not expressed enough. That, and you said it earlier, the agency of Lebanese players. And maybe that is, for the first time, in the mix on the streets as well, because people are pointing the finger at local leaders. They're not... I mean, I have not seen one external country slogan in, in my daily crossings by Martyrs Square. I've not seen anyone referring to anything other than Lebanese players, which is a good thing. I mean, that, that is a stepping stone to addressing bigger issues. Look, we, we need to have a sense that we, you know, can shape the future of the country, that it is in our hands to... You know, uh, you know, pressure the politicians, uh, shame them, uh, you know, come up with, with ideas and so on. Yeah. But we also need to understand that uh, you cannot, you know, have a country that defends itself uh, without a healthy uh, uh, um, society, without a functioning economy, uh, without, you know, uh, international uh, 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 goodwill, um, that you know is more than just blackmail or or emotional, etc. People need to care about Lebanon yes. um, abroad because because we have something to offer because we are we are constructive uh, because you know we care about the well being of our population, but we, because we also can imagine a neighborhood at peace. Um, and, and you know, hopefully, some of this discussion is going to uh, to emerge in uh, uh, in Beirut. Look, I certainly don't. I mean, I'm a foreign policy analyst, so of course, um, I I think probably more about the Hezbollah issue than your average uh, 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 you know citizen, uh, because I see how it impacts the country's standing. I see how it limits its potential, um, and it's frustrating because you know I. I understand where Hezbollah is coming from on a number of issues. I do, you know, uh, like others, uh, you know, are, I, I come from northern Lebanon, so I, you know, personally didn't see, uh, you know, the Israeli occupation, and I can imagine how traumatic it was. I mean, you know, visited the South many times. Uh, our experience was different, right? I mean, we were more uh, 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 exposed to the Syrian occupation. Um, but ultimately, you know, we should also be able to understand uh, the trauma of this, those various experiences. Uh, we should be able to respect those uh, those experiences and so on. But we should also have an honest discussion about what's best for the country. And that sounds more like a dialogue among communities as opposed to political bargaining. That are almost individuals. I think yeah. that there is a massive individual responsibility here as well. Mm -hmm. uh, no, 
there is a one thing um, about the protests in, in Lebanon and so on is that we we also and and how they've unfolded since the 2015 ones, but especially this uh, this current wave, mm-hmm. um, is that people are going down because of individual choice. Yes. You know, it's not they're not responding to community pressure. Well, that's, uh, I think that's a, a good place to leave it on a positive note. And uh, I really appreciate your time, Emil, and your perspective on both the, the foreign policy matters and the, the burden that Lebanese leaders face. And hopefully, uh, hopefully they, will, uh, they will begin listening. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Good luck to all of you who are in Beirut. I, I wish I were there. episodes continue as the uprising enters its fourth week. To stay updated, simply subscribe to your preferred podcast platform or find us on our YouTube channel. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatar. This is the Beirut Banyan.